Thank you. Good morning. Those were powerful video clips, weren't they? Well, today we're uh, in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, as we continue our series in Becoming the Church. We really see the church thriving, this embryonic, I mean, it's Last, uh, last Sunday we saw the outpouring of the Spirit and all that in, in that one day transpired. And here we get kind of an inside look at the life of the church. Luke gives us a summary of what's going on. And it's really quite telling, but we can see the church thriving and people added to their number. Let's look at... Uh, verse 42, and verse 42 picks up after verse 41, where 3,000 <laughs> 3, were added to their number. And verse 42 then says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. By the way, that's every soul was filled with fear, and it does mean awe. It's not just this body, but in their comings and goings where the apostles performed miraculous deeds in accompanying their teaching and preaching about, about Jesus uh, the people were in awe. And we continue, all the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and good, goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Uh, that huge health carrier, Kaiser Permanente, has a series of TV ads. They actually call them Thrive TV ads. And I think the very word Thrive has become uh, a more prominent piece of our vocabulary, uh, certainly our thinking with those ads, they're emphasizing proactive health care, especially through diet and exercise. And really, if you ask, how do people thrive physically? Diet, exercise are the big components of being healthy and continuing to be healthy. I know at my young age, uh, health is more and more of a concern, and I just counted a gift that I'm as healthy as I am. But even I have my own little things. And in fact, this uh, last week, Shelley and I concluded 11 days of a regimented diet. Uh, my daughter got this for me <laughs> for Christmas. Thank you, dear. <laughs> no coffee, no sodas, no, no, no 
to most of my old diet, and yes, 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 to a new, more nutritional diet with exercise. I had the, the exercise down, but uh, anyway, doing it together, I lost 13 pounds. I had lots of energy. I felt great every day, uh, but I wasn't eating what I normally ate. And uh, I really did feel great, especially after the first two or three days of a low-grade headache from my Java fast. But anyway, didn't have a cup of coffee for two weeks. But you know, physical vitality and appearance can become so important that we neglect other keys to, to well-being and what really makes us healthy. I mean, there's more to thriving as a person and well-being than just physical exercise and diet. In fact, I know uh, some acquaintances have put such a premium on diet, it actually inhibits their socializing because uh, they don't eat the same things most human beings eat. But anyway, <laughs> how, do we, how do we thrive emotionally? I mean, if diet and exercise are important to our physical well-being, how about our emotional? Well, people need people. Healthy relationships with family, friends, are very, very important. God said it is not good for man to be alone. Social interaction, in short, community, good relationships, very, very important. In his award-winning book, Bowling Alone, Robert Putnam chronicles social changes in America and our behaviors over the past 25 years. He finds that we are, incre we are increasingly disconnected from family, from friends, from neighbors, social groups, even the PTA, church, recreational clubs, political parties, and bowling leagues. I mean, what bowling leagues are becoming extinct. We're bowling alone, says Putnam. And he warns that this trend is a serious threat to our civic and our personal and our emotional health. In fact, I read an article this week, published last year, being lonely can kill you, research shows. Data from 148 studies, including over 300,000 people spanning some 30-plus years, shows people who have no social life are 50% likelier to die early than those who are well-connected to a community of family and friends. They live 3.7, almost four years longer than those who lead isolated lives. Bert Uccino, the leader of the study, said friends and supportive people encourage us to have better health practices, see a doctor, exercise more. Now just think about that. He continues, they may also help you directly by making you feel you have something to live for. The professor added, the emotional support people receive from those close to them 
can help put their problems into perspective. You think of a time when someone gave you a sounding for your thinking and it helped you to change the way you were looking at your situation, another person, your life's lot. It gave you perspective. He says, by having a secure relationship and feeling loved, People live much more secure, calm lives. Now, just I, that quote had a lot in it. And here's what I get out of it. He's saying in good relationships, he's saying in community, there is accountability, encouragement, needed perspective, and security. I shared some of these thoughts with uh, Pastor Brian Johnson last week, and a little later on he shot me uh, a study that was cited by John Ortberg and conducted in Alameda County. It was a study of 7,000 people over nine years, and the research revealed that most isolated people were three times more likely to die than people with strong relational connections. But, moreover they discovered that people with unhealthy habits like smoking, alcohol abuse, poor diet, poor exercise, but strong social ties lived significantly longer than people who had great health habits. Wow, people need people. They were much more likely to live longer. They lived longer than those who had great physical diet, exercise, but were isolated. And those that were connected lived longer. In fact, he cited another study that people connected to others were less susceptible to colds. They even produced significantly less mucus than relationally isolated subjects. I'm not making this up. They produced less mucus. It's literally true. Unfriendly people are snottier than friendly people. You knew it. But now you have the science to back it up. In other words, Ortberg inferred that it's better to eat Twinkies with good friends than to eat broccoli alone. Which really hit me, if you know me, because... Yeah, my weakness is Twinkies and my regimen is broccoli, so... It is important to eat right and exercise. But hear me, it's even more important to be connected relationally, to care about others and have others who care about you. Think about it in terms of purpose. When you have a purpose that involves only you, benefits at best are physical. When your purpose involves others, benefits are emotional and physical. But when your purpose involves Jesus, Your benefits are spiritual, emotional, and physical. Jesus is all about 
people. Let that sink in. He's all about our connection and our relationship to and with God and with others in the circle of God's gracious love. There's a higher purpose and such a higher purpose fuels the performance of our lives. It gives focus and it energizes all of life. How do Jesus' people thrive spiritually? Well, we see it right here in verses 42 through 47. They are dedicated. They are devoted. They are quite literally intentionally engaged, which is the way you could render the Greek word that's translated devoted. I want to look at it more closely with you, but before we do, I'd like us to look at John's first letter, 1 John chapter 1. And I'd like you to listen. I could read the whole first seven, eight verses, but I want to, want to focus on just verse 3 and verse 7 because they, they give us the essence of what I want to draw our attention to. This is what he says. And you think about the apostles, how they were chosen, and even when they replaced Judas with Matthias, the criteria, uh, the essential experience that was required of a candidate to be an apostle from the beginning, to have witnessed his deeds and his teaching. Now think about that as I read verse 3. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, that you also may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. If we walk in the light as He Himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, purifies us from all sin. Boy, there's a lot there. It's a sermon in itself. But fellowship, fellowship between John, fellowship between those to whom he's speaking and writing, fellowship between one another. Our fellowship is with the Father. And your fellowship is with the Father. And we have true fellowship in Him. In fact, he goes on to say, if, if you walk in the light, and I walk in the light. As He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. We have a commonness. We have something in common. We have a bond. We have a weld that is out of this world. There are all kinds of ways that people have fellowship in the broadest sense of the term. Bowling leagues. Cars. Whatever. Quilting. There's nothing in my heart against that. But we have something in Him that is unique to this world and vital to our growth and our spiritual vitality. And as we give Him preeminence in our life, we come together as people as you give Him that preeminence and you give Him preeminence. And as we saw last Sunday, the Spirit becomes prominent where He is given first place, 
where he is given preeminence. Paramount rank, dignity, and importance in our lives. Jesus is the source of our fellowship, and it's not surprising to find that Jesus is the center of the first Jesus people and their fellowship in Acts, their remarkable fellowship and growth. And we see there that spiritually we thrive together. We thrive together. We languish alone. Two features define the Jesus people. In verse 42, it's right at the beginning, it says they were devoted, they were intently engaged in the teaching of the apostles, fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayer. And that really two features here that are the, the key are the teaching of the apostles and fellowship. The breaking of bread defines, prayer defines the basis of that fellowship along with the teaching of the apostles, but fellowship and the teaching of the apostles, that is the foundation of their fellowship. And their teaching, their teaching is all about Jesus. Think about it. The teaching of the apostles. What did the apostles teach? Did they teach the epistles of Paul? Did they teach the Gospels? Gospels hadn't been written. Paul hadn't been converted, hadn't met Jesus. They didn't have the epistles. They had their experience of witnessing what Jesus did and what Jesus said. And that became the heart and soul of what they were teaching to people who were coming to Christ daily. They told them about Jesus. They acquainted them with Jesus. They helped them to understand what he was all about, where his heart was at, how he treated people, the things he did, and the things he taught about our relationship with God and what it means to let God reign in our lives. That was the essence of the teaching of the apostles. And they became the custodians, if you will. And it was out of that that the Gospels were produced. And now we all can, in a way, share in the teaching of the Apostles when we read the Gospels because we can get acquainted with Jesus firsthand. We get to walk with Him and see how He dealt with people. And that can be so rich and encouraging to us to know what kind of a Lord and Savior we have in Jesus Christ. They needed to hear about Jesus because Jesus was the heart and soul of this whole new thing that God was doing. In fact, we break bread and drink the cup, the new covenant in His blood. And they needed to be reminded of that and learn of that and be sunk deeply into it because, quite frankly, we all need to keep our heads screwed on straight. We need to have that vital perspective. We need God's Word to lift our heads and fuel us with the higher purpose that we have in life and for living. Reminding us of who God is and who we are and of the higher purpose for the world that we live in and that God loves. They devoted themselves. They devoted themselves. That is, they pushed themselves. They committed themselves. 
They made it an obligation and a priority. They were engaged in the teaching of the apostles and fellowship that was built around, in addition, the breaking of bread and prayer. You know, being devoted is the opposite of neglect. In Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25, it even says, do not neglect the assembling of yourselves together. Don't neglect that. It's a priority. And they made it happen. In verse 46, it speaks of every day. And in our action-packed world where it seems like we have so little time, you might think, every day? Every day? Okay, not every day. Well, how about a small group meeting during the week and every Sunday? During the week and every Sunday? Okay, okay, well, how about, uh, how about not the midweek meeting or the small group, but just every Sunday? Uh, every, well, how about one Sunday a month? How about Christmas and Easter? These Jesus people were called Jesus people because it wasn't something that they tried to fit into their spare time. They made it their priority. It was about their purpose. And purpose fuels performance. Their teaching is all about Jesus, and their fellowship is also about Jesus. We already saw verse 42, but look at verses 44 and following. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. This was not a commune or communalism. Uh, That's a, a political theory and outlook. But what they did was when they had need, they liquidated in order to provide the funds to meet that need. In other words, they put people ahead of themselves. They put people ahead of their property. You'll see this ever so clearly at the end of Acts chapter 4 and the beginning of chapter 5. And we'll see that shortly in a week or two. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Every Jewish meal began with the breaking of bread and prayer. But the breaking of bread, that expression, although it could refer to the the meal that Jews would share, it more likely refers to observance, remembrance of the Lord's Supper, which also opened with the breaking of bread. Breaking of bread with Jesus in their midst was important. And in fact, it is uh, in verse 46 that... uh, Am I right there? Every day they continued, they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Uh, Some scholars would think that 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 kind of uh, separation 
breaking bread and eating together in their homes, uh, suggests that at the head of the meal was the breaking of bread, the observance of the Lord's Supper, and then the meal continued beyond that in fellowship, sweet fellowship together. And that's exactly what it says. With glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people, not just within their fellowship, but their conduct, their spirit, what characterized their lives, won the favor of all those looking on. That's a powerful fellowship. That is a powerful fellowship. And remember, in community where there is fellowship, there is accountability, there is encouragement, there is perspective and security. And you know what issues? Fourth, growth. Verse 47 says, daily there were those being added to their number. They found a home. They found loving, caring people flying under the banner of Jesus Christ. That's a beautiful thing. I mean, when you think of that day of Pentecost, which we looked at in chapter 2, where people from various nations, districts, and regions from all over the known world had gathered in Jerusalem for Pentecost. And there are no less than 15 nationalities and peoples mentioned. And there you have this crazy quilt of peoples and the spirits poured out upon the 120 and they began to speak to them. And in that crowd, there are Jews and proselytes. The Gentiles converted to Judaism. There are men standing next to women. There's slaves and masters. And they're all brought together into this fellowship, meeting in each other's homes, gathering in the temple for teaching, gathering in their homes to break bread and share this fellowship. All built on Jesus Christ. All held together by Jesus Christ. A fellowship that's with Him. A fellowship that's with Him. And therefore, with one another. The teaching only reinforced that relationship with Jesus Christ. But practicing it, practicing it, living it out, that brought them together in a way that caught the attention of the people around them. It sounds idyllic, but the ideal is real. Jesus turns theology into practice. It's not all about stuffing ourselves with Bible knowledge if it doesn't make any difference in the way we look at other people, think about other people, apply ourselves to our commitments and our responsibilities, our marriage, our children, our co-workers. In all those ways, the people hold you in favor because they see the beauty of Jesus Christ. They see the reality of Him. And they see your life praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Our Kent Hughes is a pastor and scholar. We, we actually got a chance to serve on a, a board together uh, for a couple of years 
uh, he's written a number of books. He's such a fine man. He tells a story of hosting Richard Vermbrandt. Do you know who Richard Vermbrandt is? He was tortured as a Romanian pastor for his faith under that brutal Ceausescu regime that fell in 1989. He lived out his faith under brutal persecution and torture. He wrote a book that tells about his life called Tortured for Christ. He started Voice of the Martyrs. And R. Kent Hughes was hosting Vermbrandt in his church. And in introducing him, uh, he mentioned that he was in the company of a Bible-believing church, which is really good. A Bible-believing church. And Rembrandt, uh, Wormbrandt, in a most uh, winsome way, stopped and paused and said slowly, are you a Bible-living church? That's what we need to be, Bible-believing and Bible-living. We need to give place to the Word of God in our lives. We need to have our lives calibrated. You take the car in for a tune-up. You go in for a health check. Rough analogies, but it's important to the way we run or our automobiles run. We need to have our hearts calibrated, brought into line with God. What He's done in Jesus Christ. What He wants to do in our lives. And we need to bring that into the fellowship of His people. I'll bet there are some here that are not really involved in other ways outside of Sunday mornings here at Grace. Don't stop coming. But I really urge you, I encourage you to find a way to get further connected. And I would encourage you to get involved in one of our small groups. We call them R groups because those R groups seek to, to live out, reaching out to others, raising up one another, and reverencing Christ together. You know, there's something that happens in a small group or in a smaller group setting. Right now, when you look at the person in front of you, you're seeing the back of their heads or their hair. But around in a circle, around a table to share a meal, in a home, you see each other's faces. You see the expressions on the face. I mean, in here, I'm the only one talking. And if you're talking, knock it off. <laughs> I should be the only one talking at this moment. I can't prohibit you from thinking on your own, nor would I. But the point is, is that here, I'm the only one talking during this time. But in a fellowship, there's the exchange of hearts and thinking and ideas. And we hear from one another. Here we're on kind of a clock. I, I like to be punctual. Especially today. I mean, I know it's a Super Bowl day, so I, I want to get you out of here without shortchanging you in any way. I want new newcomers to feel welcome. I don't want them to, you know, feel like, wow, the pastor ran long. 
there, I'm, there's a commitment to time. But in a small group, time's not so, it's so much important. And we have time to talk and spend time together. And it's a great way in which we find that there is accountability, encouragement, perspective, and security. What's this mean to me? Spiritually, we thrive together. We languish alone. Perhaps there's been a time in your spiritual journey, your life with Christ, where you got offended or insulted or your feelings were hurt in some way and you kind of walked away from the church and walked away from fellowship. You think you're going to fly on your own and you find that you can't fly very long that way. I think some of us all in some way, maybe if not like that, in some smaller or related way, we know what it's like to think and to try to live our Christian life on our own. And that's not the way God designed it. That's not the way it's modeled. Even John later says, our fellowship is with the Father and His Son Jesus Christ and with one another. That's what makes us Jesus people. That's what shows the world the difference in Jesus Christ. Being devoted to Jesus and His people is not optional. In fact, Jesus said to His disciples in the upper room before going to the cross, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. The way we live out our own faith is such an encouragement to others, but they'll never see it if we're not together. So push yourself, if I may be so frank. Push yourself. Push yourself into the things that are right and good for you. This last week, I I put together uh, the sermon notes and then I formulate some questions for the small groups and I, I finished them on Thursday and they immediately went out to all of our small group leaders. And one of the group leaders sent me an email. He'd been reading a book by Jim Lair, The Power of Full Engagement, and going through the notes, he made a connection between the book he was reading and Acts chapter 2 and the Jesus people in 42 through 47. He wrote to me this short thought, and with his permission, which was given, I want to share something he wrote to me. Lair's hypothesis is that you need to be at full engagement in the areas of physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual to really experience or get maximum energy. For example, when people feel like they are too tired to go to the gym, but go anyway, they are energized more than if they didn't go. It's equally true in all areas of our lives. I'm sure many make a conscious decision about whether to come to church or not. 
However, Lehrer's theory claims that you will receive full power when you push yourself to the full level, meaning that you push yourself to go to church when you don't feel motivated and discover by pushing yourself to attend church that you had a great, you heard a great sermon, his words, enjoyed rich fellowship, and enter praise of God with others, and as a result, you find yourself energized and full. It's a principle. Sometimes we don't push ourselves, and we live in a world that isn't going to push us toward the things of Jesus Christ. They aren't going to push you into the Word, the teaching of the apostles. They aren't going to push you into being devoted to the Word. They aren't going to be pushing you to really spend time in fellowship. Those folks are getting ready to serve as communion. I'll let them hop up and prepare for us. And we want you to know that the real devotion is maximized when we put an emphasis on putting Jesus first in our lives and that's reinforced through fellowship with one another. And that's what we celebrate in this bread and this cup. His life and the new covenant that He established. His death for our sins and a new covenant in which we are meant to be together. Meant to be devoted to one another. So I'd like us as we think about who we are and what we have in Jesus Christ to just give you a moment to acknowledge Jesus, to lift Him up in your hearts. Thank Him. I'm just like you. I mean, I do have a suit on today, but I'm just like you. I'm aware of my frailties. I become sensitive during the week when I'm selfish or thinking only of myself. I can tell in my emotional makeup when things are out of whack. It makes me aware that I'm a sinful creature. That I fall short of my Heavenly Father, the beauty of His heart and His love for others. In the bread, we're remembering that He died so that there would be no sin standing between us and God. That's all been taken care of. We're remembering that. We're remembering that. But it's also a new cup so that we might again resume our place in this new covenant and live in the strength and the power and the joy of who we are in Jesus Christ. That's where we live and that's where we grow and become more like Him. Take a moment and pray. And in a moment I'll close and we'll receive the bread and the cup.
Gracious Heavenly Father, thank You for Your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank You for the work of Your Holy Spirit. Thank You for such great love. Father, may we take steps this morning as we wait upon the bread and the cup to acknowledge Your forgiveness to take our position where You want us, which is in Your love, sweet fellowship, thriving, making right decisions, looking at the world through Your eyes, loving others with Your power. As we take this bread and this cup, we're reminded we have all the resources that we need. And so we pray this prayer of praise and thanks in the matchless name of Jesus Christ. Amen. This has been a production of Grace Community Church of Visalia. For more information, go to our website at www.gccvisalia.org or for more sermons, go to gccvisalia.org slash podcast.